Hello and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Jason Knight, and on this week's episode, we're talking about growing your product manager career. How does someone go from starting their own nutrition startup to software product management? How many speakers does someone who works for a speaker company have around the house? Why is communication and self-presentation such an important skill for aspiring product leaders? How many side hustles does one person really need, and will our pyramid scheme idea really work? For answers to all these questions and more, please join us on One Night in Product. So my guest tonight is Victoria Tkach, passionate technologist, product manager, recently started three simultaneous side hustles, currently working at Sonos as product owner for voice adoption and experimentation, so I'm hoping she can help me get my speaker to turn off when I shout at it. Hi, Victoria. How are you tonight? Hey, Jason. I'm doing well. Excited to be on your podcast. I'm excited to have you here. So let's get started. You are working at Sonos. Now, we all know what Sonos do. And in fact, I've got a lovely Sonos speaker in my kitchen and it's wonderful. But what do you uh, specifically do for Sonos? Yeah. So um, just for anybody that hasn't heard of it, Sonos does multi-room audio for the home. We make smart speakers that have really great audio quality, but also can be connected across different rooms to play together or separately. Um, For them, I work as a product manager. So I've worked in a number of different spaces at Sonos. I've managed the mobile app, looking at the different interfaces that you interact with on the app to control your devices. I've also worked in the voice space with our Google Assistant and Alexa integrations, making sure that you can talk to your Sonos, you can set up your voice assistant and control it easily without needing to use an app, just from your comfortable seat on the couch. Also, I've worked in the services space and involved with Sonos Radio, which is a new service we launched that has our own content, our own exclusive stations that you can listen to provided by Sonos. Excellent. It sounds like you've you've worn a few different hats there already, and you've been there for, I think, a couple of years. Is that right? Yeah, I've been there for um, two and a half years or so. And yeah, it's definitely, it's been a dynamic and fun experience. It's still small enough from the software product management space so that I think there's a lot of opportunity to try different things out and grow very quickly. I think um, the company only IPO'd a couple of years ago. And so there's been a ton of growth and shifting and change the last few years. So I really enjoyed it. And I'm only in the uh, software product management space, but there's also other folks like hardware product managers or even software product managers for hardware. So a lot of different groups there. Have you ever felt curious about going into the hardware side of things? Because, I mean, I've only ever worked in software product management, and and I guess you have too from what you've just said. It, it feels like there's a whole world of hurt there with regards to the hardware because it just feels trickier. But I don't know if you know anyone on the hardware teams that kind of could dispel that illusion, or is it just harder, or or, or is it something that you feel kind of curious about going into? I mean, at Sonos, I think a lot of the software product managers have felt curiosity about the hardware space because Sonos ultimately still is a hardware-driven company. People know Sonos for the devices it brings to market and releases. And so when you see you know, everybody rallying around the latest speaker and you really want to be part of that process. And you know, like even on the software management space, there is a role that we have that's somewhere in the middle. So for example, you know, how does the Bluetooth chip in the speaker create the type of experiences that you want. So there have been times that I was like, oh, wow, like that product, that new product is really cool. I feel really driven to, you know, maybe even switch off of what I'm working on now to try to get more involved. But ultimately, I do feel that software product management is a little bit more flexible and a little bit more applicable to a broader range of companies. 
and give somebody greater career choices as a product manager. So that's kind of why I've stayed with Software PM. I think that for those, especially with uh, you know engineering background in electrical or mechanical engineering or have a little bit more about hardware in their background, uh, it is a really fun and interesting space. And how many Sonos speakers do you have in your house? I have quite a few because <laughs> I, you know, I have them from buying. I have them from testing new product releases. And I also have buddied up with the beta team to make sure that <laughs> I can get whatever we're testing. So maybe 13 <laughs> or more. Yeah, I have a lot. It must, must be, it must be a popular destination for, the, uh, for parties when, when, we're, when we're allowed to have parties again. Yes, and yeah, big- we have the subwoofer <laughs> set up. <laughs> and how big is the team that you work in at, at Sonos? The, I think it's 50 or so people for the software product management group. And it's been crazy because the team has just been growing so fast. Like every couple of months, we need to find a new meeting room to fit all the people that are <laughs> on the group. And then the office that I work in is the Seattle office. We have a new office that we were all very excited to stand up in the middle of downtown. That office, I think, has a bit over 200 folks, and it's the fastest growing office because it's really the home of the software space for Sonos. Cool. And 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 are you all based in or around Seattle, or is a wider distributed team working with Sonos? Yeah, it's um, a very widely distributed team. So the starting or founding space of Sonos is Santa Barbara, and that's where sort of our executive team is based. But we also have offices in the Netherlands, in France. We have a large office in Boston. We have offices in China, both you know development offices and obviously factories that we work with there. So it's a very, very distributed team. And I think that was a large advantage for Sonos as we switched into this new work from home environment in that we're all pretty much already on Zoom calls half of the day. And we're very familiar with that process. Yeah, I think we've all become very familiar with that uh, these days. Uh, but I, yeah, I definitely imagine that if a company was you know, like four people in an office or something like that, that that would probably start to get a bit more of, of a jarring uh, situation. But did you already have like really good ways to collaborate, like uh, effectively replicating like whiteboards and stuff? Or, or did you have to kind of invent that as you got more and more people to work from home? Well, we had a funny situation in that yeah, we are used to talking and meeting over Zoom. I think really collaborating and working together. Zoom obviously can't do everything and it doesn't have, you know, those kind of collaborative features that you need. And so uh, what happened recently is our UX team started using this tool called Figma, which is a collaborative, you know, cloud-based design tool. And other people started catching on. They're like, oh, this is really cool. This is great. I can see what you're doing. And so within a month, they had like three times the number of people being an editor in Figma and needed to shut everyone off because they had like ridiculous costs. Uh, but that that is a tool that we've been picking up Figma, which has been helping our, our um, virtual collaboration a lot. Yeah, I think uh, there's there's so many tools out there and obviously all different qualities and, and they all have their pros and cons and, and as you say, pricing models. But if I were a product manager at one of those uh, companies, I'd probably be uh, coining it in at this point. So pretty sure that they're doing pretty well. I've been uh, fluffing up my my stock selection during this period for sure. <laughs> if only I could have a stock collection, but yeah, maybe one day. And um, how did you get into like Sonos and and working with with kind of voice control and and sort of the, some of the experimentation stuff you did? I mean, I know that you started out or you worked before at uh, Amazon. You interned there, I think, working uh, on Alexa. So so was that like your first journey into kind of voice? 
product management or voice in general or, or, or was that sort of a passion of yours from from before yeah um so let's see with i think that was my first sort of purview into the voice space i was definitely interested in voice for a while but i think voice just as you know one of the applications of ai in the consumer market and modern life like i think i've been interested in in ai and machine learning as something that really empowers people to do things more intelligently more efficiently and ai is one of the sorry voice is one of the ways that you know we can really see the growth of that and so that's why i was interested in sort of that space with alexa because it's the pretty much the first and the largest forefront of how voice has gotten into people's homes and how people have begun to be more comfortable using it. So that's really where I started. And yeah, that was super helpful because at Sonos, we also have the Alexa integration. So I was able to continue working in a very similar space after that as well. So do you think that helped get you the job? Because you already had some experience with Alexa? Like, I guess that probably looked pretty good on your CV, right? Well, what's funny is I didn't start in voice at Sonos. I started in a totally different space. So I'm sure it helped me just as, you know, a past experience in software technology and as Amazon is obviously a desirable company. I think the main things that helped me get the job at Sonos was just that, yeah, I had relevant experience in software in the past. I think I have some experience also in startups and sort of trying to grow something on my own, which I think is is appealing to any company hiring product managers as they like people who are creative and have drive. And at that time, I was just really obsessed about product management. So I had read all the books <laughs> and all the all the articles and blogs. So um, I had a lot to say there as well. Excellent. And that's interesting, of course, because you just mentioned about your kind of startup idea and or startup ideas, and we'll get to your side hustles later. But before Sonos, you started your own startup, as you said, called Delica, which was focused on uh, diabetic-friendly sweet products, I believe. What made you get into that? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I was working on Delica for a number of years, and that came as that came through sort of an epiphany I had just around the food industry and how people are educated about what's healthy and what's not healthy to eat, and how misleading some of the things that we hear day to day are. So, for example, you have phrases like "breakfast is the most important meal of the day" that turns out to have been created by cereal companies who want to sell more cereal. <laughs> And you're like, wait, it's not, you know, it's not the most important meal of the day at all, potentially. Or, you know, like yogurt and you see it's ultra healthy because it's low fat. And that turns out that it has lots of sugar in there, which is arguably much worse for the body in the quantities that we consume than fat. And so I had more and more realizations about, you know, the dangers of sugar and the effects it has on people. And so I wanted to create something that will make it a little bit easier either for the average consumer who just is struggling with how many sugar-laden foods are in the store, or somebody who is diabetic uh, who really has to pay attention to this kind of thing day to day uh, to give them a way that's a little bit easier to manage that and find a you know yummy but low-sugar food that isn't going to have any sort of crazy additives or you know something they might worry about putting into their body. So was it originally focused on kind of diabetic-friendly specifically or was that something that became a almost like a byproduct of the fact that you were looking to do something healthier anyway and you sort of realized that that was then kind of a, a a market that you could help to serve more specifically yeah i think the the latter is is most accurate in that you know it was really started from a, a problem that i had but i realized that there is a market of diabetics that 
have been thinking about this problem for a long time because their life has been Im- impacted by it. And so we we did do some partnerships with diabetic organizations who represent this kind of issue. And, you know, like diabetic people, they have to measure their insulin multiple times a day and really, you know, check every single food that they eat. So um, it's a very relevant product for that group. At the same time, I think normal people and the average consumer should be thinking about it a lot more than they than they are now. Yeah, I think we could probably say that about most things that we eat um, in one way <laughs> or another. And how how far did uh, Delica get? Like, obviously, you started it yourself. I don't know how big your team was, or, or or I know you worked on it for a couple of years. How successfully did you grow that startup? Yeah, so um, I was lucky to partner with a program in the University of Washington that helps entrepreneurs and founders grow their businesses. So I was able to collect a team of folks interested in a similar space through that. I think the team size fluctuated. So the core team was probably around four people. There was a moment in time that it was seven people, which is uh, <laughs> quite a group to, to manage when you're trying to grow. And yeah, we focused on kind of two spaces. One of them was business to business. So we partnered with local companies who sell like organic and natural goods. So a market that might be selling, you know, grains and and organic food and that kind of thing usually would be interested in our product and um, stevia as a as a product in general to to sell to their customers. So we had this sort of business to business line with some cafes and some organic stores, and then the consumer line was higher margin, but it's definitely can be exhausting to to sell to consumers sometimes since you have to really work for every single sale. So yeah, I mean. We, we had that team about four and, and we grew it to, you know, I think a good growth rate and a good size. At the same time, it's, it's challenging. Like when you compare software and again, when we were talking about hardware, you have to think about the cogs. You have to think about, you know, bottling and labeling and every single product that you manufacture. And you have this kind of like weight that's always attached to you for, for any growth. You have more of this weight. Um, so, you know, it also helped me to learn that. Software is definitely a space that I, I probably belong in the long term. So is that why you kind of gave it up? Is it because you you were just more passionate about software or, or did you, you know, sell it to Jeff Bezos or you know, like how, <laughs> how, how, how did that end? I wish. Yeah. So we reached this point where we kind of needed to decide, should we lean into growth more and have a set of investments required to, you know, work with a larger bottling plant that you need to do a certain minimum volumes, invest a certain sum of money required to just scale up the business because scaling doesn't always come for free, especially with this this, you know, industry that we were in. Or, you know, maybe we didn't want to scale up because that means not only do you invest more money, you're committed to investing all day every day for multiple months after that. Uh and we, you know, decided that at this time all of us were kind of like, okay, I think we had enough. I think we don't want to commit the next years of our lives to to this work and let's um, see what's next. So so you just shuttered it and, and kind of sold off the remaining stock and, and moved on? Yeah, we sold off the remaining stock and sort of shut it down. And yeah, that was it. But obviously that's really great experience as well though, right? You've obviously, you've started a business, you've, you've, as you were talking about, you've had to get very business savvy and, and start to understand not just how to make it, make the individual products themselves but you've had to understand how to make an actual business so obviously you're not doing that directly with sonos but but what lessons has that given you that that you can take through to your day-to-day life 
Yeah, I mean, it's super important to do this kind of work in that, like you said, there is a lot of skills that you learn from it that are relevant if you want to start any business in the future. You know, if you're an entrepreneur or a founder and you really love one type of thing, like you really love the technology and building the code, like, I'm sorry, but you're going to have to still think about other things like marketing and growth and, and whatnot. And I think that having experience in any type of founding or, or um, entrepreneurial exercise is helpful to begin to build that muscle. I think one of the things I learned from there and that I definitely see, you know, in my current work still is just the, the value of marketing and how important that is to, to growth. Because you can have an awesome product, but the, the part around making sure people understand the value proposition and people hear about it. You know, if you don't have that, your product is probably going to to stay very, very still. <laughs> and um, yeah, the value of marketing is definitely a big one. And do you get to kind of scratch that itch at Sonos? Do you get involved with the marketing teams there? Or are you very much focused on the voice and the experimentation? And I assume quite a lot of R&D. At Sonos, I would say, yeah, I think marketing is more something I use outside of work. At Sonos, my focus is more around the customer experience making sure that you know the customer pain point and need is met. I work closely with the marketing team to make sure that they you know understand what the value prop is or what the product experience is like to make sure that's reflected in the marketing. But I'm I'm more focused on R and D iteration, you know, and the the producty kind of side of things. Well, we'll talk about your side hustles, which I'm assuming you're going to be marketing uh, like crazy on in a minute. But before that, I know you spent some time studying in China and learning Chinese. So how was that experience? I mean, it's obviously a very different country. How did that go for you? Yeah, I'll actually add one more thing on your, your previous question um, that, I, that I learned, which I think is, is more applicable maybe day to day. So I think just like continuous learning and being ready to dive into a new space or learn a new skill. I think that's something that we had to do every week during the startup experience because you're like, oh crap, you know, I didn't think I need to learn about FDA rules and laws and sign legal contracts related to, you know, the kind of certification our our chemical has. But I learned that right now. <laughs> so <laughs> that's something that has been very relevant in, in my life, in my job um, day to day, and I think is a super healthy skill for, for most folks to build up. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So I can uh, answer your question around China. I went to China a few times. I started studying Chinese almost as early as high school because I just thought it was a really fascinating language. And um, I was really interested in the way that tones work and, you know, the kind of musical qual quality I think that they bring to the language. Sounds relevant for your Sonos work as well, <laughs> having such an interest in, in, in tones and, and, and sort of voice characteristics. So, so it, all, yeah. it all starts to come together, right? It did actually end up being relevant since, you know, we have to look at uh, character-based languages for voice expansion and see how those are different for the assistant to understand or, you know, how to send queries that are not in English is actually pretty complicated. So yeah, it did actually end up being relevant. But yeah, I mean, I let's see, the first time I went to China, I think I didn't yet speak any Chinese. And I was just mind blown by the country. Like everything was really different. And seeing the characters everywhere in the stores was just a really cool experience for me. And, um, you know, China is interesting, too, in that it has such a huge variety of natural scenery throughout every single province that they have. They have every possible, you know, landscape that you could imagine between the famous Avatar Mountains 
or you know you have the the deserts kind of in the area closer to Mongolia or you have you know the area near Tibet with super high altitudes beautiful mountains tiger leaping gorge so i was really mind blown and and fell in love the first time that i got to experience it oh excellent and so you you came back after one of those times uh, speaking chinese and obviously had had a really great time over there did you did you feel that you you, know, you said obviously it's a, a very different experience did, do you feel you learned anything over there that that helped with your sort of entrepreneurial spirit or with your sort of subsequent product career or, or was that just a very distinct part of your life yeah i mean it's definitely a distinct part of my life in the sense that it just it's like for example after i graduated university I went there and spent some time studying Chinese, just like, you know, I say the word distinct because it's like this gap in time that had nothing to do with anything else in my life, but that was so amazing and meaningful. And then I came back and everything was the same back in America. And yeah, it's just like a funny, <laughs> like kind of like traveling to another planet or like traveling in time or something. I would say some of the things that contributed or that I keep in mind in my work now is one of them was. I spent some time in a town called Hangzhou, which is near Shanghai, and it is a very modern sort of city. It is where the headquarters of Alibaba are, and I don't know what a good comparison would be, but it's a very, very beautiful place. Like they have this historic lake, but they also have skyscrapers and just a really high quality of life over there. And so I had a lot of great experiences where, you know, you go to the restaurant. And there's a QR code on the table, and you scan the QR code on the table, and then you order food from your phone, and then that food arrives to the table that you have because it already knows that the QR code is associated with this table. So you never have to interact with anyone. The menu <laughs> pops up there with pictures. You don't have to like get any physical product from anyone. And these kind of small experiences, like maybe an iris scan at the bank or something like that, these small experiences with technology would happen there every day. That I would be like, whoa, you know, like the homeless people here have, you know, phone pay that you can scan their <laughs> <laughs> their phone and, and give them money. It was just interesting that, you know, in America, there's kind of this mentality that like, oh, we're the most developed, we're the most progressive and modern. But once you step outside of America, you remember that, you know, every country wants to think that, but there's really <laughs> rapid advancement and development happening in other places. And, and China is a really exciting example of that. Yeah, I think anyone who wants to uh, get too fussy about the U the US's technological power should probably look at the trains in the US and uh, <laughs> compared yep. to the rest of the world. Yep. <laughs> and uh, I saw on your on your LinkedIn that you did a course, a LinkedIn course in developing executive presence. So that speaks to me of someone with leadership ambitions. So uh, what's next for your your product management career? Yeah, I actually really recommend that course. I really liked it. The, the instructor was great and they talked a lot about these sort of underlying philosophical almost things that you need to have in your mind about, you know, the greater ambition of the why of the work that you're doing or like communicating empathy to other people. And yeah, definitely recommend that course for my <laughs> ambitions. I mean, right now I'm still sort of in a growth phase. I think that I've been able to progress a lot as a product manager the last few years, but I definitely haven't learned all of the the tactical or technical skills that I feel that I need. So, you know, I have areas to grow in sort of data analytics. I have new areas of technology to learn. So that's something I'm going to continue. 
I definitely do have have leadership ambitions in that I really enjoy the the role that like one thing I really enjoy about the product management role itself is sort of the power you have to figure out what is the right product to make and what sort of path should we be moving down. Uh, and so I think that itself does have a lot of ties with with leadership in terms of, you know, you can't just decide that on your own. You have to excite a larger group of people to be with you on that mission. And so that's definitely an interesting space for me. I guess it must be interesting as well because you've you've already been a leader as well, right? I mean, you've you've led your own company. It was smaller than Sonos, but it was still your own company, and you've still had to take responsibility for all of that. So it kind of feels like a I'm not even sure like a circle or something where you've kind of you've kind of gone around and you know you started off in a place you've you've gone around and you've broadened your experience and now it's back to you know climbing the ladder again and and getting to that position of power. But do you think that's something that you'd do at Sonos or is that something like you just have a longer term ambition to maybe start your own thing again, or are you just not sure? I think I would be interested to start something on my own again. I mean, there's different paths into that. So I see Sonos as a high growth company recently um, in terms of you know scaling the team and moving into new spaces. I'm very excited about what they're doing. And so you know, I think that there's a lot of opportunity to grow there. I also think that if you know, some of my friends or colleagues that I believe in a lot have something that they're working on that I could contribute to or or be helpful in. And, and you know, I think that it could be successful. I think that could be a really fun path to to go down as well. I do appreciate that at a larger company, you do have a bit of, of cushion there in terms of you have a couple of chances to try out and iterate the right thing. Whereas if you have a startup or something small like the company I had in the past, you know, you, you have a couple of mistakes, um, but there's definitely a limit to how much trial and error, test and learn you can do before, you know, you need to figure out your life <laughs> and your 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 path. Yeah, I, absolutely. I mean, I, I think that it's kind of a continuum from kind of the smallest startup to the to the biggest corporate. And you probably, yeah, each stage of that continuum obviously has its own opportunities and its own uh, disadvantages. And, and certainly as you get too big, then, then you start to not be able to really experiment anyway, because just too much uh, bureaucracy in a way. So it's probably a sweet spot. Sounds like you're in it at the moment, which is good. But speaking of other opportunities, I understand uh, from our chat earlier that you, you've started three simultaneous side hustles, which is a lot, to be fair. I mean, <laughs> I'm um, creaking under the weight of uh, just having a podcast, so let alone uh, trying to do three things at the same time. So you've got a product management YouTube channel that you've started up. You've got a T supplies etsy um, whatever they have on etsy channel or page and you've also got a shopify selling lingerie so how are they so how are they going (laughs) yeah i started them all in the last couple months and i think it's um you know a symptom of me getting excited about too many things at the same time so (laughs) i'm sure i probably shouldn't be be having all of those at the same time and i'll need to choose one but I mean, it does come back to like test and learn and find out what's the right thing to do. And also around building skills for the future. Because, you know, with YouTube, I'm sort of learning how to present myself correctly. Like at work, I have this area of focus where, you know, I have to give a lot of presentations. And so I really try to pay attention to, you know, am I able to articulate clearly? Am I communicating the right message? And 
I found that my YouTube channel has been a much faster way for me to really practice those skills than even at work. Because when you're editing your own video for <laughs> 10 hours... <laughs> you don't have to talk to me about that. The amount of times I've spent uh, going over and re-going over and, and, and cringing at stuff that I've said uh, for this podcast, I, I can completely get you on that one. Yep, yep, yeah. So, you know, that one I'm really excited about, the, the opportunity to learn. You know, public speaking is such a critical skill and communicating is sort of the heart of some of the value that a PM brings. So, you know, I'm excited about that. I'm excited about the, the, the channel itself. It's called Product Chat. It's about helping people who are interested in product management understand what it is, how to get into it, and what are the skills that they need. Um, and I think that there's a lot of room for, for that on YouTube because there are a lot of blogs and books, but sometimes, you know, it's hard to really be as engaged as you need into the content when you're like reading all day, all day. <laughs> so, so yeah, I mean, I'm excited about the, the product chat YouTube channel. In the other ones, um, I think they're a little bit more around, you know, seeing what kind of passive income that I can create. I think having multiple income streams is really important for someone to get to financial independence, to be able to have the volition to choose the work that they're passionate about rather than the work that they feel financially obligated to do. So I certainly have, you know, financial motivations for that. But I also have motivations in terms of, you know, let me keep trying to learn the secret sauce about how to grow something, about those marketing skills that we talked about earlier, and really sort of find the formula for, for you know, growing any type of product that somebody might be interested in. Excellent. So, uh I guess you could have a fourth side hustle, which would be taking bets on which of the other three side hu- <laughs> the other three side hustles would actually be the most successful. Exactly. And then we could start. Then we can have a fifth, which would be kind of shorting the the fourth and and, <laughs> and so forth. So. And then I have to, you know, let people buy into my stock exchange, so I have a platform which will be the sixth. <laughs> start doing there, and then seven will be like arbitraging and stuff like that. I think ultimately it's uh, there, there's a, a bit of a, a pyramid scheme going on here that we could we could probably set up. So <laughs> Love it. Uh, let, let, let's chat after this call. <laughs> so I know that you said earlier as well that you consumed quite a lot of kind of books and, and magazines and, and other content to kind of get up, I guess, up to speed and, and, and kind of immerse yourself in, in product management. Have you got any kind of key recommendations, like top books that you would recommend to someone that was like trying to find out more about that area? The book that I think a lot of people know, but I'll still recommend anyway because it just played such a critical role in me even getting into product is um, called Inspired. Yep. I think you might have heard of it. I forgot the author's name. Like We talked about uh, your, your memory for, for author's names <laughs> earlier as well. Uh, I believe that was Marty Kagan. Marty Kagan, yes. Yeah, his book Inspired helped me so much in terms of getting into product management, understanding the spirit of the job, and you know, just very obviously being able to say the right thing in, in the interview. Um, so I'd recommend that one to anybody who's newer to PM and trying to sort of grok the role. The The other recommendation I have is understand the tech space that you're into. So for me, you know, I'm into AI and I want to understand what type of products that I would want to contribute to for AI. And so I read annual industry reports around that space and see, you know, what's new are chatbots the thing now or are, you know, like autonomous cars the thing or what's the latest progression and, you know, get a little bit more technical knowledge around whatever industry that you have a interest or passion in. 
So that's an interesting point, actually, because I've had numerous discussions with people in the past around like looking at job specs and seeing some really specific job requirements on these specs about like really deep industry knowledge about the, the industry that you're moving into. And there's one point of view, which is, well, like, yeah, of course, you need to know that because you need to do that to be successful in, in, in that industry. But there's the competing camp, which is, well, actually, the most important thing is to be a product manager and have those skills and be able to transfer those into that industry and then learn about that industry when, when you get there or as you're getting there. Where do you fall between those two positions? I think I tend to lean towards the second I think somebody who has a good understanding of the product role and has the ability to learn the industry relevant knowledge very quickly, along with has a broad base of general knowledge around, you know, the tech space is in a good spot to be successful in a large number of companies. At the same time, there will be a lot of people who already have industry knowledge in the space that you might want to get. And so they'll obviously have an edge up when they can come to the interview and say all the right words and sh clearly show that, you know, they've already worked there. So theoretically, I lean towards the first, but practically I can imagine it it's a bit challenging once you look for jobs. Yeah, I guess these days, especially in the uh, kind of the current situation with all the furloughs and, and layoffs and in certain industries that there's going to be kind of a supply demand problem when it comes to uh, any any industry you know, where just anyone that has any skill in that area is probably going to kind of like you say just just edge everyone out. But you know, yeah. I still like to think that product management itself is is, is its own skill, and I think that, uh, that that's that, that, that's the, that's the dream anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I mean, there's sometimes you have to remind yourself, but even things that people don't classically describe as hard skills or technical skills like road mapping or prioritization you do really have to build a muscle for over time. So so I believe. <laughs> yeah, I also remember speaking to someone who said that they don't know why they call them uh, soft skills because they're the hardest ones to actually master. <laughs> which Very is, true. Which is true. If you were to give any advice to an up-and-coming product manager or person that wanted to get into product management, what would your kind of one key piece of advice be for that person? Yeah, um, I think a lot of folks are saying that, you know, it's tough because I don't have any product experience and all the jobs require product experience and, you know, it gets stuck in this loop. So I think one of the ways to, to get product experience is to figure out a place that you can use those skills, even if it doesn't necessarily have a formal title. So, for example, you know, if you're at an existing role, you can find some sort of project to work on there, maybe as like a hack or sort of a side project inside of your company, or you could even partner with the existing PM to help them out with something and figure out a way to build those skills before formally transitioning into a role and then speak to them once you once you do start to push. Or maybe you can even use that as a channel to help you push into a certain direction. If you're not at a job, there's also lots of opportunities to do that, such as any of these things, you know, Shopify, Etsy, come up with some sort of idea, find a friend who has their own idea, but find a way to create something and, and grow it and use the many, many online resources that exist to figure out like what's a way that you could take a space that you're interested in and create it into some sort of idea or iterative product. 100%. We'll, uh, we'll pass that on. So, uh, so where can people find you? I mean, they can find you on your YouTube channel, I guess. Is there anywhere else where people should uh, 
reach out if they want to uh, be inspired by some of your work? Uh, yeah. Um, I mean, I think LinkedIn is still best for that. Um, I'm on LinkedIn as Victoria Sketch. Uh, definitely check out the YouTube channel. It's very new. So, you know, it's something I'm trying out. And then, yeah, those are probably the best two places. Excellent. Well, that's been a really fantastic chat and, and a great look inside the, uh, the the various facets of your of your of your current uh, career. So uh, thanks very much for spending the time. Uh, let's keep in touch. And, and, and thanks for coming on. Thanks, Jason. It's been great. I appreciate it. You'll be glad to know that since recording this, our guest is now on her fourth side hustle. As for me, if you found this episode interesting, I'd love for you to go and subscribe on the podcast app of your choice. Tell all your friends about me and come back next week for more from One Night in Product. <laughs>